apologies for my own shortcomings. It's time to take responsibility for me, daughter of a king who's king of all kings. So, um, well, we are sitting down today with none other than Pastor Tillman from First African Baptist Church in the great and historic city of Savannah, Georgia. Good afternoon, Pastor. Good afternoon. How are you on this day? I am excellent. Let me let me just say um, it is truly a pleasure and an honor to be in such a place as as this. Um, I have read about this place. I have. Um, walked around this place. Uh, one of my uh, favorite lodging accommodations is one block over. Um, I have stalked you all online, <laughs> <laughs> um, and now I am. I'm finally here, and and I have an opportunity to have a conversation. So when I say I'm super excited, when I say I'm geeked up, when I say I'm on cloud nine, I I really am because I I have an understanding of what this place means um, historically, not just for me as a Baptist minister, but as an African American who is a descendant of of slaves in in the United States. So I'm excited, Pastor. How are you? <laughs> I, I am excited that you are excited. We're excited to have you in this place, that you will come and take time to share with us and to just give us an opportunity to talk about this story. And we are so glad you're here and so glad that you're also alumnus from my alma mater, um, ITC, the Morehouse School of Religion. So Absolutely. Again. Shout out. Yeah, shameless plug. Shameless yeah. plug. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Well, I don't want to bury the lead because we're going we're gonna to be all over the place this evening with our conversation, but I don't want to bury the lead. So, so we'll do the business part first, and then we'll talk about um, another, a number of other things that, that I know that we are, are both passionate about. So Georgia Conservation Voters Education Fund came into Savannah um, because our local community organizer, Chastity Malloy was on a call around the 100% Savannah plan. And both yourself and another local pastor, Reverend Roberson, were on that call. And uh, there was a suggestion to, to create a video. Can you talk to us a little bit about uh, the church's role in the 100% Savannah plan. Can you talk to us a little bit about that conversation to kind of create a video, why video was necessary, what it was, what it was for, the purpose, and, and all of that? Right. Well, I knew that they wanted to reach uh, everybody and to reach more people. There, there is a plethora of written information on why we ought to do what we do, why we ought to be concerned about the environment, why we ought to be concerned about global warming, all of this. There's a plethora of written information. But many people only pay attention for very few minutes, very few seconds of anything that gets their attention. And visually is one way that people can see what it is, and it leaves an impression. It is true that a picture is worth a thousand words. Um, a lot of people don't want to read a thousand words. But once they see it and able to say, well, that's interesting. Now I may read it. Now I may get more. And I believe that that was the impetus to do that. We were saying, okay, I heard everything that you all said in this wonderful conversation about getting the church involved or more involved with 
100% Savannah, all the things you want to do. But I asked, do you have something that's visual? And the intent at that time was to just get something that may have been less than a minute, maybe 30 seconds or so. That Because at that time, most of us were still doing all virtual church. So I said, this is something we could show during our worship experience or just prior to the worship experience. And once people see this, they can ask other questions and we can have meetings specifically dealing around these issues. And it was so much because we, we on that conversation we went across the board. We 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 talked about uh, water. We talked about air. We talked about um, just uh, flooding. We all the fires. We we talked about all what what comes from global warming as and uh, and climate change to what talks about um, industry and how uh, industrialization has has dumped the environment. Uh, so we said, well, what is it that we can focus on? What is it that we can grasp because you're going to have so much information until we do nothing. And then so how can we organize? How can we function? How can we make a difference in our community without just having a lot of information? So hopefully the video presentation that we did, and I was told that they can break it down into smaller segments. It doesn't have to be just the only 30 minutes and everybody gets the 30 minute or the hour version. That literally could be broken down into smaller segments and we can use that in our various congregations. Thank you for that. And for, as the, as the leader for First African, what was it about this particular initiative? Because I'm sure your, your inbox is full, the phone is always ringing, right? So you pastor, and correct me if I'm wrong, you, you pastor uh, an African-American congregation, and I'm sure that there are a number of challenges, a number of, of, of opportunities to, to serve, to get involved. What was it about this particular initiative that made you lend some of your time to the effort? Just the fact of justice, the fact that there are so many people who are in places that uh, can actually be of detriment to their health, and health is important. We realize that uh, God has given us everything that we have, and one thing that we have that he's given us is our health, and we have to be healthy. We're, we have a health initiative here, um, and we, we put together a, a number of initiatives that every Thursday night at 6.30 we do a showcase. But for our health initiative, we've been getting our, all of our members to do things like walk more, eat more properly, um, yeah, that eating and walking, <laughs> exercising, being active. Uh, and so there's some things that I've just seen down through the years, such as zoning. When we talk about zoning and how in some areas you have industries in the black neighborhood that you do not have in other neighborhoods, you have um, uh, the air, is the air quality is poor, and they're, they're at there was a time when uh, it was zoned with disregard. The, the black community had property that was le of less value, um, less worth because of other things that was going on around there. I used to always wonder why we tease about uh, the side of, what side of the railroad track you live on. And there was something behind that being not just on the other side of the railroad track, but sometimes right on the railroad track. Nobody else want to be there, but that's where we live in our neighborhood. The track going right through our neighborhood. So just notice that there's an opportunity to 
to do what's right, to to make our living and places where people live, the water people drink, um, all of that, that it should be um, it should be fair. It should be just. We should have an opportunity to live. Absolutely. And you mentioned a little bit um, uh, about the the air quality. Is this and, and health overall in, in terms of kind of the um, environmental injustices that play regular everyday people in terms of health? Are your members, are uh, Savannah locals aware of, of it or is it something that just folks aren't, aren't aware of or are folks aware of it and they're fighting the best or are folks aware of it and it's kind of low on their list of priorities? Is, is it on their stream, in their stream of consciousness? Let me answer this way. <coughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we're having issues but may not directly attribute it to air quality or the other things happening around us and and uh, chemicals that we're exposed to and not knowing we're exposed to this and then not having the legal help or knowing where to find the legal help to, to talk with, even on our on people who work in, in various industries, um, various things happening. So, yes, we are aware of it, because it affects us, it affects our families. Um, the use of asbestos and a lot of things and lead um, and lead poisoning and lead in the paint and all of this, we learn about it over time, but did we, did I, did we know our children were actually in these homes where they were peeling lead off the walls and sometimes eating the paint, this sort of thing? Yeah, we were aware of it, but as far as maybe not being aware of what can be done about it, not being empowered to do something about it. And then after something has been done, hadn't been aware that you, there's some recourse that you could possibly take legally when those injustices have happened in the community. Absolutely. And I guess that was more so my question because sometimes, you know, we may know, well, I had a cough and mama and daddy had a cough, but sometimes we don't attribute that cough to the plant that's across the street. Or sometimes we know the air is foul, but the air has always been foul. So we don't say, well, oh, the paper mill is making the air foul. And sometimes we don't know that our norm is abnormal. So we think, well, just because it smells bad don't mean it's bad. You know, we don't we don't make the connections. Yeah. I, well, I, I'll tell you, I, I grew up in Brunswick and uh, the paper mill there uh, and also close to a plant called Hercules, I mean, literally, maybe blocks from Hercules, and the smell in the air, you you knew it was something wrong. You know, it wasn't normal, but it was normal for us. And it's something else that when it rains, you have to wash your car after rain because the, what was the chloride going up in the air or something, and then when it rained, now it's hydrochloric acid or something on your car. If you don't wash your wash your car after it rains, your car will end up with all kind of um, discoloration. So, oh, wow. but but that was normal. And even now, I think there's certain smells I look for from a boy that have a um, a good feeling behind it, even though it's bad. Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain chemical smells that happen through the through the year. For example, at fall time during the fall when football season starts. Something about the air that was 
in the air there in Brunswick that that I haven't smelled any place else. Mm-hmm. But when I smelled it, I said, "Oh, it's it's football time." Oh yeah, this this time to go, to go play football or whatever else because I can smell the air and something about the the change of the temperature mm-hmm. and the chemicals in the air. But I mean, being here and all, I haven't smelled the same smells that I had growing up, so I know something is not right about that. And yes, you could look at the um, the the health rate of people in certain communities and tell down through the years that that was not. Uh, a great environment to be brought up in. Matter of fact, my dentist said to me when I moved to Savannah and had some work done, he uh, looked at my teeth and he says, oh, you must be from Brunswick. I said, how you can you, you look at my teeth and tell I'm from Brunswick? Oh, it's that water. That water y'all got down there? Oh, that's what it's doing. Your teeth are layered. I can tell by your teeth that, that you, you, you grew up in Brunswick. Mm-hmm. Didn't have a clue. Wow. So, and you mentioned something about... In terms of the 100% Savannah plan, and I think what you said can be applied to a number of things. I think they had a, a, a bunch of information, um, but it would take a long time to sift through kind of like, you know, information overload. Can you tell us about messaging, you know, even in, in terms of um, this aspect of justice work, you know, we call it an environmental justice, energy justice, and in terms of the impacts that dirty industry, in terms of the the impacts of, of plants, air pollution, water pollution, soil pollution, have on black and working class people. How important is getting messaging right? In order to have folk to respond and to, to do something pertaining to all of the injustices, people really have to be aware that it is an injustice. There's no way to, to not know that, or there's no way to really know that everybody else is not experiencing what you're experiencing. When you go someplace or you move someplace else and you find this out, too many people are just relieved that they're no longer smelling it, or they're relieved that they're no longer tasting that. Or they're relieved that they don't that they don't have to um, use as much soap or whatever as they had to use in another place. Not so much that they're ready to get everybody who's in the community where they just moved from. They're ready to tell them, "Hey, y'all need to move to where I am too because that stuff is bad. I, this is so much better." And then the other piece is how it affects us so slowly. It's not like a bullet, mm-hmm. you know. It takes a little while to do it, and by the time you catch on or you get diagnosed or whatever else, now you're trying to go back to find out what happened. When we can make the community aware that there are some things that can happen now to help us have be healthier later, instead of waiting until you know it's 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 almost too late, and then you have others who've been exposed for a long period of time. It's important. It, it's important that you taking time now for us even to discuss it because I I have not done many discussions about the importance of the environment and the importance of the environment with African-Americans specifically. As you say, there's so many other issues we're working on that's impacting us right now, and we're ready to be reactionary to what just happened right now. I need to eat. I need uh, gas. I need this. The prices are high. Um, I'm working three jobs, and out of my three jobs, I don't have enough to pay my rent and my, my medicine and the list goes on. And so where can we find help to do those things? 
And then after you finally pull that together for years and years of working and pulling this together and being able to survive and children getting an education and they're able to find a job, not, not own a business, but they're able to find a job. Now they're going to the same kind of struggles. Then all of a sudden you find out you have this illness that was creeping mm-hmm. into your body mm-hmm. down through the years. So, yeah, it's, it's extremely important but it's like not important to us right right now. I don't feel or see the urgency, but every day it's getting more and more urgent. We're hearing hearing that, sometimes seeing it. You know, we have a a real terrible storm, a lot of flooding, you know, um, fires and stuff happening. Then we're concerned right then, but how long are we concerned? We're as concerned as long as we see it in front of us on television as long as we're experiencing it right now. But then after that's over, it's like, okay, that won't happen like that again. The next one won't be as bad. That would just happen to be a bad storm. So uh, I want to take a minute for anyone who, who is listening who may not fully get this whole global warming, climate change, and level set. So so we're all on, on the same page. So... Climate change, or let's let's start with, with global warming. So global warming is exactly that. It is um, the increased overall temperatures of, of the earth. And the reason, and this happens because of um, what they call kind of like the greenhouse effect. So if anybody's ever been in like a hot house or if anybody, you know, knows anybody back in the day when I was growing up, my grandfather um, farmed and we were up north. So in, in the winter, you know, he would turn our house into a greenhouse with lights and it would be really warm and it keeps the heat in. And so what happens on earth is that because of all of this pollution, and I'm going to use really basic terms, because of all of this pollution, the pollution floats up to the highest point in the air and it gets trapped and it makes a ceiling and that ceiling creates a greenhouse effect and that leads to the overall warming of, of, of earth and that global warming, that greenhouse effect leads to what we call climate change, right? So it leads to uh, the, the glaciers melting. It leads to, as the glaciers melt, uh, more uh, uh, more water in, in the oceans and the disruption of coasts in places like, like Georgia, because of what it's doing to the atmosphere, we've always had storms, you know, we've always had tornadoes, but they are more severe. And so because of this greenhouse effect, our storms and the natural occurrences that happen by Mother Nature are more severe. Our shorelines become eroded, so we have less protection against Mother Nature. And there are a number of things that impact people negatively. Um, And you know what they say, that when everybody else has a cold, the Black community has the flu. And so the reason that global warming and climate change is so important for the black community is because the more we have, the more tornadoes we have, the, the more significant storms we have, the more hurricanes we have, the more sea levels rise um, and flood out lands, 
the more we are impacted because we don't have the resources to withstand. <clears throat> there you go. Right. We don't have the resources to fight back. And so that's that's global warming and climate change in and of itself. But that has all happened because of people. <laughs> right. Okay. Like that's happened. And it was intentional. Right. So when we think about our communities um, and you mentioned this. It's not, and I'll say it, I'll, I'll be the one to go on record and say it so nobody else has to say it. It was intentional that they put those plants in our community. It, it was intentional oh, yes. that oh, they yes. zoned our communities in such a way that we would have all of the industrial, um, all of the industrial factories. It was intentional that we couldn't live in other communities and we couldn't get jobs and we had to be the people who powered the plants that killed us so that that was the only way we could we could have we could have income um and at the same time they charged us more when it was a coal plant or a nuclear plant they charged us more for the same gas or the same electric electricity that was killing us and we were working in the plant and we didn't get the same rates that everybody everybody else had but all of this dirty energy not only exasperates the environment, the hurricanes, the tornadoes, um, causes sea level to rise and floods out our communities, but we also die from lung disease. Mm -hmm. We also right. make up most of the cancer alley. We live in most of, of, of the cancer alleys. And I'm a social justice activist and organizer I am extremely passionate about Black Lives Matters. Um, I fight to ensure that as you know, we go outside, that we are not killed or gunned down because of the color of our skin. But it is just as important that when we go outside, we don't live in a community where we die of asthma or air pollution or cancer because of the color of our skin. And the reality is that more people die because of energy injustice mm. than <clears throat> police brutality or community violence, so on and so forth. This has been a, a problem. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, environmental justice is, is a privileged uh, a priv an issue for privileged people or an issue for white people. But environmental justice, the movement started in the 60s in South Carolina in a black community. Black folks started this movement. And so we should see ourselves in it. And I laud your work. I laud um, the support that you have from, from this ministry to get into the fight because it was churches that started the environmental <laughs> justice movement because their community was under siege by all of these toxic plants. And folks were getting sick. So I just wanted to make sure that anybody who was listening knew the history of um, environmental justice, its origins, and knew that um, it centers black communities and not just black communities, but working class communities, communities that have been oppressed and taken advantage of um, in regards to air, soil, and water because they have a lack of resources. They don't have a way to fight back. And keep in mind... Even though we're saying that it's largely black that it's affecting, if you're staying in a predominantly black community or around a black community, you're going to be affected as well. So a lot of times it's also income, where you are income. And, and there's some people who think that they can escape it. I don't know why we don't form a coalition, a stronger coalition, 
with each other because it comes down to the have and the have nots. And those who actually have are always trying to get more. You always thought that those who had a lot would have compassion and realize we should not make houses be close this close to us to, to where we where we're doing this work. Or we should make sure that the water what we put in this water that's going downstream, we should make sure we shouldn't have to have the government to regulate us. Because then why are the why are there those who want deregulation? Why are there those that want less regulation on what you're putting into the water? What you're going into the air? Why? Why are you saying, "Oh, okay, you can make more money Absolutely if you don't have right. to put in <laughs> these various things to make sure the levels are are sustainable and that people can actually live?" So it does come up to to be income. And then the the thing that really gets me about this whole thing is, if folk have enough money to make people who do not have money think that one day they're going to have as much money as they have, if they if they can agree with the folk who have money, you know, because one day you're going to be a millionaire, a billionaire too. So you really don't want them to to stop your business from growing. You really want people to let you do what you want to do. And when you get your billions, you're going to give some money. You're going to trickle the money down to the people who need it. And that does not work. It doesn't happen that way. And that's why everyone needs to really uh, open our eyes, see how important this is, and do what we can to help because it's going to help everybody. Actually, it's going to help the people who are wealthy as well when they realize the fact that it's only one earth. Absolutely. And to that to that end, you know, for those who, who do care about the environment, for those people who, who are participating in the, the climate fight, you can't get there by yourself. Either we all working on it together, either either we all gonna make it, or or either we we aren't. So so the only way to achieve the goals is by ensuring that nobody is left behind, ensuring that there is a just transition, um, because we can't save um, the earth with one class of people. It's just not. It's just not gonna happen. If we don't have everybody on board, then it's just not gonna happen. So it behooves us to ensure that the least of these are at the front of the line. Um, even if we don't care about them, which we should. We should want the, the last to be first. Um, but you ain't going to get what you need in this life, especially in terms of the environment, unless you understand that you can't get there by yourself. Like sometimes you just, you're not, and this is one of those fights that if you seek to separate, if you seek to leave people behind, you're not going to achieve your goals. So, Rev, you yes. said you have the... The, the health initiative, you are a part of this 100% um, Savannah initiative, which is super exciting. Tell us about the work that First African is doing in the community as well. Wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> we have a nonprofit that's connected with First African called George Lyle Vision Incorporated. Primarily, it's... It, started really to help those who were hard to employ to do workforce development. And we were employing people, primarily those who were incarcerated coming back from, from prison. One of the things that I've noticed years ago was that the, um, the, those who were in, incarcerated um, were having a very difficult time in finding jobs. Those who were incarcerated were having very difficult times in getting housing. And all of that was because when um, P. 
people were incarcerated, going in for five years, ten years. They're coming back out of prison, and when they get out of prison, um, no one wanted to hire them. So once they asked, you know, have you been incarcerated? They didn't want to know why they've been incarcerated and do those things. So when they found out people been incarcerated, they were not getting jobs. But we found out there was something strategic about people who were uh, had been incarcerated. When they get home, they had they had a habit that everybody who gets out of prison has. I, I've noticed it. You know what that habit is? Was it waking up early? That habit was, not the waking up early piece, that habit was they wanted to eat. Mm. And they wanted to eat every day. <laughs> and sometimes at least twice a day. Rev, don't we all have that habit? I'm trying to say that. And, <laughs> but if nobody, if nobody, if you're not working. Right. And then the other piece was if you had child support mm-hmm. and they went into prison, they didn't stop your child support while right. you were incarcerated. Mm-hmm. So they were coming out needing monies. And I could see that um, the challenge that we were having at that particular point, 75% of all crime committed in Chatham County were committed by people who had been incarcerated. Mm-hmm. But we were so busy spreading a wide net to try to catch people, you know, keep people from doing crime, these sort of things, when you could really just look at the folk who had been incarcerated. And if you assisted those folk who had been incarcerated, then there wouldn't be the people who are, who are feeling mm-hmm. desperate that they really have to go do do other things. So we kind of focused on that for a while, and we still have some focus on it. But we and and that was just something that's very very important that um, we do it. And I'm grateful for the the DA that we have now, Selena Cook Jones. I'm very appreciative because she's she's getting it um, in a way that I hope the community gets it. Absolutely. We we do our, we try we cannot arrest our way and incarcerate our way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. out of um, this whole crime situation because at one point we were sending as many people to prison or more than Atlanta. We had one zip code that was sending the second highest number of people to prison than Atlanta, but our population being nowhere near Atlanta. Oh, wow. However, um, we've realized after years that all the people sent to prison, the crime is not going down. Uh, some would go down, but but staying high because this is one fact that most people don't realize. 97% of all people who are incarcerated come back home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what happens if you've been, you, you've been incarcerated, you come back home, you can't get a job, and you want to eat, and you got to pay child support, you're going to find a way mm-hmm. to take care of family, take care of yourself. And that sometimes comes back to crime, recidivism. So anyway, we began to work at, particularly when they had two strikes, you're out, when we have two strikes, you're out, we begin to work with those people who had this, the first strike because if they commit a, a, one of those seven daily sins again, the next strike will give them life without the possibility to parole. So one of the things I've said was, okay, if I got armed robbery the first time, got 10 years, I get out and I can't get a job, and now I'm really hungry, I really want to do something, I'm going to just commit one more armed robbery so I can have enough money so I can, can make it. So I find somebody that I want to rob, I go to rob them, and I say, wait a minute. If they can identify me, they could tell how tall I am. Mm-hmm. They could tell my son about my voice. Um, and they catch me this time, I would get life without parole. So how can I make sure they can't tell how tall I am, that they can't tell what kind of car left me? And how can I make sure they do that? Oh, I just kill them. Okay, now wait a minute. If I kill them and they catch me, what would I get? Same thing. Life without parole. Didn't make any sense. The legislation, bad legislation, but yet it was in place. 
So at that point, the, when the Lord showed me that, and I, I opened my eyes to that, I was doing what we could to make sure that we addressed that with those who were coming back from their first strike to make sure they don't do a second strike. And um, the city of Savannah got involved, uh, Dr. Otis Johnson, and the city started, uh, they, they started, um, uh, it was a program that made sure that they targeted the ones, I don't know why I can't think of the name of it, but they talk, had a program in place that targeted those who had been incarcerated and would make sure they could get jobs, make sure they could get education, make sure they could get drug treatment, whatever they met their needs. Great program. Uh, they were using it all throughout the state of Georgia. Um, our last um, city council, our last council, though, did, um, did stop it, saying that it was not effective and they didn't use it. But under Mayor Van Johnson and this city council, they're starting it back up again. I don't know why I have a blank on what the name of that program is, but um, it's, it's back. But it's one that addresses the needs. We found out that uh, I think it's like 90% of the crime in our community was committed by maybe 10% of the folk. So, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just a way to find, and you focus on those 10%, you'll get it done. I'm going to think of the name in a moment. Anyway, uh-huh. it's very, 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 very effective, and hopefully we have that back. First African also works, um, so another one is, in Matthew 25, it says, When I was hungry, you fed me. Thirsty gave me drinks. Strange took me in. Naked and you clothed me. Sick in the prison, you visited me. I said, well, when do we do that? When do we see you hungry and feed you or naked and clothe you or sick and in prison visited? He said, In as much you've done to the least of these, you've done it also unto me. Well, when I read that passage, I look at it another way because if you're hungry and I feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink, you're going to be hungry tomorrow. I got to feed you again, give you something to drink. That old adage that if you give me a fish, I eat for a day, you teach me how to fish, I eat for a lifetime. So I believe another way that pastor is saying, I found, you found me employment. So when we found your employment, you could feed yourself, you can clothe yourself, you can have a place to stay, you can take care of your health needs and all of this if you have employment. But we also go a step further and even help people to start their businesses. And not only start their businesses, but we support the businesses of those who are starting their businesses and really need support of the church and the community. So we're very advocate, we're, we're great advocates of making sure that we help the minority-owned businesses, black-owned businesses, as well as small businesses uh, to get the things done that we need to get done. We're part of almost every organization in Savannah that does good, from the NAACP um, to um, just every, every piece that you have that members of First African Baptist Church are part of it. Uh, we deal with our school systems. We deal with our police department. Uh, I'm serving one of the police chaplains. Um, there's a number of things that the community do, does. And I would say First African really expected a pastor to be involved in the community. Mm-hmm. We have a history of being involved in the community down through the years. Dr. Ralph Mark Gilbert, who was really ahead of his time, was a pastor here at First African Baptist Church. He was literally a mentor to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And when Dr. King would come to Savannah and come to First African, he would literally sometimes stay in the parsonage on 36th Street, uh, where was the parsonage for Reverend Dr. Ralph Mark Gilbert. Dr. Gilbert, responsible for first nine black police officers being in Savannah. Um, just a number of things. I started talking about the things Dr. Gilbert did, and it's still developed, it's still mm-hmm. working here today. The West Wall Street YMCA. Uh, and the list goes on and on. With Greenbrier Children's Center, they, they start along with Churches of the Berean Association and uh, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. I forgot the local chapter name, but Alpha Kappa Sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha, Kappa Sorority, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority <laughs> Incorporated. 
Um, so there's there's a lot that First African has been connected with in the past that we're still connected with now, and we encourage so many people to just get out and do those things with so many different organizations because um, we're just grateful for what, how God has blessed us. So where the needs arise, we try to do our part to be a part of it. So now we're encouraging people to own businesses, establish businesses, because if you are to acquire wealth, you're going to acquire wealth through owning a business. We live in a capitalistic society, and until we catch on to that, we, we, we just won't, won't make it. This is not a socialistic. It is not communism. It's not what people are going to give you things, just give you things. You can say, well, they own me. I'm black. They need to give me some money. I'm black. They need to send it my way. Well, you need to organize, mm-hmm. have a plan in place, have your real legitimate nonprofit with a 501c3 or own a business, and then have a plan, in fact, to show how you can, how you can actually be a part of the plan that's already put in place by the city, the county, the state, and then you could let people, you could then talk about how racist people are or how unjust people are if they're not giving you the opportunity and you rise to the occasion and you have your paperwork in place, you have what you need in place, and you're ready to do the work that you know you can do. So, Reverend Tillman, I wouldn't be doing my job as, as we close out if I didn't bring it full circle, right? So, as we seek to connect um, this 100% Savannah plan and um, your role here at First African Baptist Church, if you had to preach a sermon on the moral imperative of being in good relationship and good standing with the environment, what would you preach, sir? I probably would just start with, um, of course, I, my go-to would be that the earth is the Lord's the fullness of the world and they that dwell therein. I like that because it lets us know that it doesn't belong to us. It all belongs to God. And anything that belongs to God, we really need to do our best. We need to do our best to take care of what belongs to God. You want people to take care of what belongs to you. If you loan me your automobile, come with it. you expect me to give you back your automobile better than what you gave it to me. If yes, you gave sir. it to me half full, you want it back full. If you gave it to me not scratched up and dead, you expect me to give it back to you that way. Well, this is God's earth. And we should, in fact, do everything we can to when we leave here, it should be in a better predicament than when we came. And the other part of that that I love about that particular passage is the earth is the Lord's, the fullness of the world and they that dwell therein. That means each one of us. I have to be careful how I treat you. Mm. I have to take care of you because God's going to hold me accountable. And the Bible is clear. You will reap what you sow. So we need to make sure we're doing what we can to help each other. Excellent. Well, Pastor, I thank you for spending time with Georgia Conservation Voters Education Fund. Thank you so much for um, your participation in the 100% Savannah plan. But, but even more importantly than that, because we know seasons come and go, plans come and go. Thank you for your holistic leadership. Thank you for the vision that you have. Thank you for, for caring enough. Thank you for your, your servant leadership. Um, in, in, in such a place as this, in such a time as this. And with that, we'll, we'll, call it, we'll call it a wrap. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. And you have to come back real soon. Absolutely. Thank you. No 
more making excuses for my own shortcomings. It's time to take responsibility for me. Daughter of a king who's king of all kings. So, um, yeah, I've been top tier. Walking with my head held high in every stride I make. I took the long way here. My soul you can't take. No matter what you're saying, do my spirit can't break.